If you're visiting with us, we are delighted to have you join us, and we pray that you'll be blessed as we attend unto what we've all come for, which is really to spend some time in God's Word. And so if you do me the honor of turning to the second letter, to the second chapter, to the final three verses here, verse 15 through 17, uh, here in Second Thessalonians, and a study I've entitled, Don't Be Like Jello. Now, I don't know how many of you actually like Jell-O. I like Jell-O. But Jell-O's an interesting substance, and probably one of your children, probably you, I know certainly me, uh, found it more useful to play with than to eat. Amen? It's not exactly nutritious, but there's an interesting aspect to the dessert Jell-O. And that aspect is this, you can put it on your plate, you can begin to suck on it, no matter how small the hole is in your lips, you can suck up the entire pile of jello. Why? Because it squishes into any shape, any form, through any size hole, it's moldable, shapeable, and is really gooey. I pray your theology is not like that. I pray that your theology is strong. I pray that you are steadfast and immovable. I pray that the Word of God is the source of our truth and the source of our strength. And so this morning, we'll pick up in verse 15, uh, as we head to the the end of our time here with the church at Thessalonica, uh, we have one more chapter to go. And we'll conclude with two more studies, but uh, today, don't be like Jello. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the amazing truth of your word. And Lord, as we are family, we are the brethren here in these verses. Pray that you would help us to stand fast in these last days. We pray that that prophetic word would move us to the practical application. Uh, that your time of grace may be drawing near, that end, Lord, that expected end. And we pray that we'd be busy, Lord, accomplishing much for your kingdom. So bless us as we study. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's children all said, Amen. Verse 15 here, Second Thessalonians 2. And therefore, brethren, again, he draws... The example that we are the one body in Christ, and again, that's not universalism coming out in me. That's simply acknowledging what Scripture plainly says. There's really only one church, many manifestations of it, but there's only one way that you can be saved. That's at the name of Jesus, and therefore, by biblical definition, we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus with everyone else on this planet who has also named Jesus Christ as Lord. And so he says, therefore, brethren, speaking to the church universal, all of us, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And so it begins by drawing attention to the centrality of the word, to the truth contained in it. You see, very often, too many people have jello theology. And they get that jello theology by believing the word of man over the word of God. By believing that which is someone's opinion versus what the scriptures actually say. And in fact, not only do, do, do they do that, but they also change what the word of God says 
to meet their own specific need or ends. And so there is a point that's being made here that we as the children of God, brothers and sisters in the Lord, are to hold fast to what the truth of God's Word actually says. He continues on. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father. Little clue, God's not your father unless you've had a second birth. God's your judge. If you have not believed on the only begotten Son of God, then God, the Father's name, is reserved for those who know him. He'll be your judge. And he is the Heavenly Father, but he's not your Father specifically unless you've been born again. He's the Father of all mankind, but personally and practically, he is the Father to his children. And his children are those who are born again. Who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. If you want to be consoled, if you want to have hope, it only comes by grace. Because if your hope is in this world, your hope will be dashed on the rocks of life. If your hope is in politics, oh my goodness. God truly help you, brother or sister. If your hope is in your finances, you will never have enough money, no matter how much you have. You'll never have enough possessions to rest and hope in them. And in fact, they can all be taken away in a flash. You see, our hope, our consolation comes by grace and grace alone through faith. Comfort your hearts and establish, establish you in every, notice this, good word and work. You see, the good word that takes root in every life, those who believe on his name, those who are God's children, because you've been adopted into his family by that second birth, God's kids specifically, that not only will you cling to the good word, but you'll also be clinging to the good works, which ought to come from the fact that you have met Jesus. Scripture is very clear that the believer that says, I have faith and no works, is not actually a believer. That's someone masquerading. Because someone who truly is a child of God will have some good works. James would actually go on so far as to say, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, something's going to happen from the life of someone who's truly saved. And so as we break this down, you see too many today are are not standing fast and holding to the traditions listed here. They're holding to a lot of traditions, but it's the traditions of religion. It's the tradition of maybe some specific way of doing church. I'm amazed how many people, all of a sudden, God fell off the throne because we changed the color of a wall. If I were to send out a little questionnaire and say, do you like pews or chairs? I could split the church over pews and chairs. People would, oh, I have to have a pew. 
well, I have to have a chair. We can just put a line down the middle and chair people over there and the pew people over there. You know, tradition in this sense is not how you do church. Tradition is what all church should be, and that is people who love God's Word and then do something with the love for God's Word. That's how the Bible defines church. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. You see the prophetic proclamation. Those future things that we've studied here in this book should lead to practical incentives for Christian living. We shouldn't just know about what the future holds because we know who holds it. We should be concerned about what we're doing to see that that future is bright and beautiful for anyone and everyone that we meet. That makes you a gospel-oriented person, a word-oriented person. There's no wiggling. There's no jiggling. There, there shouldn't be jello theology in our life that's based on popular opinion. You see, jello doesn't stand up in the storm. Amen? If it wiggles and it jiggles, it's also going to move. You want to be standing on the rock, not on popular opinion, and certainly not on secular humanism. It's mind-boggling to me where people fall away from the Word of God to the opinion that someone has about what it clearly does not say. I was talking with a few folks last week on the Internet. They had made a couple of comments, and I was responding to those comments, and and one of them piped up and said, that's, not, that's just your opinion. I said, no, it's not my opinion. It's what the text actually says. It is amazing to me the text can say something very specifically, like you're not supposed to be a fornicator, and somehow someone else can say, well, that's not my definition of fornication. <laughs> well, you need to have God's definition of it. And that means you ain't married. And everything that's outside of that, God says is fornication. And that was actually the question we were debating. And they went through all the usual things. Well, you know, Solomon had 800 concubines. Yes, and Solomon ruined his life. Solomon was not under the grace of God through Christ Jesus. He was waiting in faith for Messiah to come. You see, you can make Scripture say a lot of things. You can squeeze your theology into all kinds of little tiny areas if you make it squishy. But if your theology is on the rock, you're not cramming the rock into a small hole. The rock is going to crush whatever it is that you're thinking that's wrong. Amen? You see, there's a principle here. We take our stand on what the Bible actually says in this church. Not the prevailing philosophies of ministry. Not the way that people would like it to be. Now, now we can differ on the application, but we cannot differ on the interpretation. Scripture says what it says, it means what it says, and we do what it says. You see, we live in a very unstable environment today. 
many false theologies. And amongst those are things like there is no hell. There's no hell, then Jesus was a liar. Because he taught on it as a real place that people could go. So if you're one of those red letter, I only believe in the words of Jesus. Well, then you believe in hell. I don't like hell. But here's the good news. You don't have to go there. You can choose Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior. And be spared from that prospect. Or that one day God will save everybody. Scripture's very clear. God does not save everybody because not everyone wants to be saved. Men still love darkness. And if you love darkness, you are going to be lost. If you do not repent of your sin, you will not be saved. Now those are hard things. The world doesn't like me to say those things. I, I, I will get emails about this very message. That's too harsh. No, it's truth. It's truth that sets people free. It's not me lying to you so you feel good. It's telling you the truth. And the truth is you must repent of your sin to be saved. People don't like it. They don't like the fact that all roads don't lead to heaven. But Jesus said there's only one that leads to life and godliness, and narrow is that way. People like every road. We all believe in the same God. No, we do not. Our God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross specifically for our sin. Very different than how a Buddhist would see the life of Jesus, or a Hindu would see the life of Jesus, or a Muslim would see the life of Jesus. To a Muslim, he's but another prophet. They go so far as to say that not only that, God does not have a son, period, end of conversation. It's part of the declaration of the Islamic faith. So if Jesus is correct, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, then that means anyone who believes something other than that doesn't know him. Now, you may be in that crowd today that doesn't like that I said that. But let me give you a little reprieve from that. I didn't say it. Jesus did. It's found in his word. So I can either tell you something different and start a new tradition or I can give you the tradition of the apostles who said you must believe on the only begotten Son of God to be saved. You can't be unrepentant and living a life of open rebellion to God and claim that you're a child of God. That is the tradition of men. I did a little Google search just to make sure that, you know, they hadn't gone away. In Wisconsin, there's a beer church. 
It literally is a brewery and a church combined. I don't know how that works on Sunday, but I'm pretty sure that's not from the Lord Jesus. In Denver, Colorado, there is the Cannabis Church. You can't even see the pastor. No, he's up there somewhere. There's the open marriage church. First church of Solomon. Those are vain traditions, damning heresy, and they are not from God. Let me be clear on that. It's not of the Lord. You see, but people don't like it when you say that. Well, can't we just kind of squeeze into that a little bit? And stuff the jello of your life into that hole. Here's what's going to happen. Carried to the worst extreme, that could cause men to perish. So I'm going to stand on the rock. We must hold fast to the truth. You see, here's the problem if you don't. If if I preach some other gospel, it's on me. I don't want that responsibility. I'm a chicken. And I freely admit it. I do not want responsibility to fall on me for your eternal salvation. So here's how I avoid that. I tell you the truth. Then whatever you do with it, that's up to you. You, you, you see, my job is not to make you comfortable. My job is not to make you like me. Now I pray that you will actually like me. I pray that you'll love me. But that's not my job. My job as a pastor is to teach you correctly the inerrant word of God. And if I do that, I'm okay with God. If I don't do that, I'm not okay with God, but I might be okay with a whole bunch of people. And there are people all over the world who would rather be okay with people than okay with God. I am not in that group. I'm old. I'm going to heaven fairly soon, so I can just lay it out there. We have to hold on to it. We have to hold fast to the teaching of God's word. And I don't say these things to offend unduly. And I'm not trying to be boastful, proud, or arrogant. I'm simply saying the only truth that we have in this world is this truth. Everything else is conjecture. It's someone's opinion about something. It's the reason that the founders of this great nation so heavily relied on the centrality of their being a creator. One day we're all going to answer to him, so we better get it right. You see, we have to hold fast to that truth. I I fear the Lord in that. That's why Ephesians 4 reminds us, look, he he gave some the gift of pastor-teacher. I believe he gave me that gift. 
but it's for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So if I'm going to equip you to do any job correctly, I have to tell you the truth, don't I? If I want to turn you all into electricians, I better tell you about being good electricians, not about politics, not, not about medicine. I need to tell you about being an electrician. And the same is true for God's Word. If I want you to be a believer, and I want you to be solid in the Word, then I have to teach the Word. We should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, which comes from a knowledge of the Word. Too many people believe that there's some synchronistic way we can just homogenize everything, and it comes out somehow spelling Jesus. It it doesn't. It confuses people. That's why we counsel. We counsel from God's Word. That's why we teach. We teach from God's Word. That's when you decide what we're going to be doing here. We try and, does this match what God's Word says as best as we can possibly make it do so? We have to hold fast to that truth, not to some specific way of doing ministry. I'm appalled when people say, well, you know, we should do it this way because this is the way Calvary Chapel has always done it. Pastor Chuck would absolutely come unglued if you said that to his face. It was never about a model of ministry. It was always about Jesus Christ and his word. So we'll make it about the word in this church. Otherwise, you end up with spiritual infants, not solid believers. People are hungering and thirsting for all kinds of things. But we need to give righteousness. Otherwise, ultimately what happens, you you get some ho-hum, humanist, philosophical, do-it-yourself kit. You just wander around, and I'll just, we'll pick a few verses here and a few verses over there, and we'll, every once in a while, we'll mention the name of Jesus. And we'll bring in about every other philosophical view, and pretty soon you don't have a clue what you're resting on. But I can tell you this, it won't be the rock of your salvation. It will be a malaise of something that will move when you put pressure to it. When the storm comes, the jello's moving, folks. You see, what happens in our day and time is people really love syncretism. And the reason they love it is you can stuff anything and everything into it. You can take a few principles from Buddhism, and you can take some from Islam, and you can take some from biblical Christianity, and you can take some from culture, and you can take some from politics, and you can take some from secular humanism and existentialism, and you can put them all in a big basket, and you can shake them up, and you can spill it out on the ground, and it just appeals to everybody. Your Bible says the Word of God is an offense to those who are lost. It's supposed to actually offend people. Why? Because it causes them to come to terms with the fact that they're sinners and they need a Savior. If you make everybody happy, then they have no reason to believe that they need Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to become absolutely obnoxious. Please don't be that person. But truth is truth. 
You cannot reconcile the God of Islam and Yahweh, Lord of hosts. It is an impossibility. And to attempt to do so damns the person who listens to you. You can't put all the world's religions in a basket and say all roads lead to heaven because none of them save biblical Christianity point to Jesus. And if you're not pointing to Jesus, you're pointing at the wrong person. Well, that's too narrow. People love to be able to pick and choose. You, you want to know why we have all these bulk stores? Because people like to pick and choose, right? You wander down. The, anybody ever do this? You go, you go and I'm, I, I love Costco, by the way. I love Sam's Club. I'm not picking on anybody. But you get the cart, and you go in there. You don't even know what you're looking for. You get to the checkout stand, $285. I came for cheese. Why? Because we like choices. We like bargains. We like things that make us happy. It's like, oh, that's a special deal. You load your cart with special deals. You think you're getting something for next to nothing. People do the same thing with Jesus. I want a Jesus that doesn't cost much. I want a Jesus that won't interfere with my life. I want a Jesus that isn't going to change me in the slide. He's going to let me be me, but I want him added to what I already am. I want choices. There's one choice. Believe on his name and you'll be saved. Amen? Amen? We got to get that right. Otherwise, we become syncretist. We try and blend everything together. We tell everybody, well, you can keep your sin. You know, you don't need to repent of anything. There's nothing to repent of. God loves you just the way you are, brother. While it's true God does love you the way you are, He's not saying you can stay that way. There's the difference. There's the difference between solid exposition and a partial truth that actually ends up being a damning heresy. Examples of this. We don't think about it this way. There was a Pew Research poll done. Do you know that they researched over 10,000 people? Ask them one question. Do you believe that Mormons are Christians? They did this in churches. 85% said yes. You know why that is? Because they don't know their Bibles. They watched Marie Osmond on TV. She's got to be a Christian. She said she is. And I'm not picking. I'm simply saying this is how this happens. The Mormon church is a cult, let me be clear. It is not Christian. It is decidedly not Christian. 
because the way you define Christian is do you believe in the one and only Christ as told in your Bible? They do not. And in fact, of the four standard works, and I'll give you a little help here. The cornerstone of Mormonism is actually found in the Book of Mormon in Moroni chapter 10. And it says the way that you understand that you're going to be a believer is that you get a burning in your bosom. Now, I get that every time I have jalapenos. (laughs) And I've tried this new thing of going to the movies, popcorn and jalapeno. I don't know what it is. It's like crack to me. I just keep eating it. You see, this is syncretism. This is you feel a certain way about something, so it's got to be true. I feel a lot about a lot of things, and most of the time my feelings have nothing to do with truth. They're just feelings. Of those four standard works, and I would share this with you. And by the way, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science, all came from the Methodist Church of all places. People who were formerly Wesleyan Methodists believed on the only begotten Son of God shifted away. Mormons have an abject work of fraud that they call one of their four standard works. It's called the Pearl of Great Price. When you read that book, it sounds great. Sounds wonderfully godly. But it came about this way. There was an art dealer who had several scrolls, supposedly in Reformed Egyptian, and found out that Joseph Smith could interpret Reformed Egyptian, which, by the way, if you dial up the Smithsonian International Geographic and ask them if there is any such thing as Reformed Egyptian, there isn't. But they heard he could translate these things, and so they gave them to him, sold them to him. He was supposed to translate those, and when he did, they became the pearl of great price. Now, here's where the story gets very interesting. During the Chicago Fire, 1871, supposedly those scrolls were destroyed. Little benotes to them, that's not what happened to them. So this supposed base for this one of the four standard works... Lost forever. Nobody can see it. Well, that isn't what happened. They actually resided in the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. They were there for a number of years. Finally, they were rediscovered after having been sold by the wife of the original art dealer to that museum. But if you go and look at those today, they're nothing more than funerary documents from the Ptolemaic era, about 300 B.C. And they describe embalming, not what's contained in the Pearl of Great Price. And yet for 170 years, the Mormon church has continued to put forth the lie that Joseph Smith got a direct revelation from God from some scrolls and he alone could interpret them and you can still go see those same scrolls today. Now why am I saying this? Don't be 
fooled. Don't follow the fakers. Don't follow the liars. You follow the word. Be Bereans, family of God. You need to study your Bibles and see if these things are true. Because when you do, you're, you're not going to be pushed away on these little trails that lead to all kinds of different places. It's amazing to me how many Christians are, they're like the ShamWow dude. It's like, oh, well, if one of them's nineteen ninety-five, and I can get four of them for, you know, 24 bucks, I mean, it's only five bucks, and I get four times as many pieces of goodness. They go to church that way. They're looking for a bargain. They're not looking for truth. And my grandfather told me a very wise thing. He said, Jeff, if it doesn't look like it's very valuable, it probably isn't. When you, when you test things by the word of God, you're going to find out what has true value. Value that's associated with the words themselves. That's why we need to be diligent. That's why we as pastoral staff need to be presenting ourselves to God. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, as you do as well. They're in 2 Timothy 2.15. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You don't want your theology coming from outside sources. You want it coming from the Word. Test these things to see if they are true. And he simply closes this book with a a benediction of grace. He says, look, you need to be born again. You need to let God be your Father. As he closes this out, he's reminding us, look, now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is not your Lord unless you believed on his name. He's like any other figure of history unless you have believed on his name. You you can't know the Father without knowing the Son. That's what Scripture says. That's not my opinion on the matter. That's what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. That may offend. That That may not make you happy. Maybe you have a different view this morning. Maybe when you got here, you you thought all roads do lead to heaven. Uh, You can leave with that viewpoint if you want. Or you can believe on the only begotten Son of God and the only way that anyone will ever see heaven. That's an exclusive group of people. But Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross God the Father loved us enough to send Jesus, his son, to this earth. And the way that we know that is because the word says so. Not because somebody has told me the steps necessary that I need to follow in some religious order so that I can be related to a group of people who somehow are the chosen ones. To as many as received him the Bible says, to them. He gave the ability to become the sons of of God, the children of God. It's not exclusive in that way. It's open to anyone. Whosoever will believe. That's a grace benediction. He's saying, look, you don't need to be anything other than one of God's kids. It's up to you. Our hope is good because the word is good. Amen? Amen? That's what he's saying. He said, look, if you're one of God's kids, it is good. And you do have eternal hope, and that eternal hope will see you home. 
Everything we have, family, everything we have, that good hope comes from the grace of God. You see, we need that that grace to walk the walk. We, We need that grace to be established. We need that grace to do good works. We just simply need His grace, amen? His unmerited favor. I pray that no one can say of you, no one can say of me, no one can say of this church, oh, well, they talk a good game. But their life doesn't match up. Brothers and sisters, so worship team comes back out and we close. I pray that our lips and our lives are testimony of the word. I pray that our talk and our walk is a testimony of the Word of God lived out in us. I pray that the words that we speak and the work that we do are a testimony to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I Am, who has saved us. I I pray that what we do are doing and what we believe our doctrine match up according to the Word. You, You see... That's the way that we can lead people into the right kind of relationship. A relationship of grace. You don't want to have jello theology. You want to stand on the rock. Amen? Would you stand... you're here today and maybe the message of the gospel has touched you our prayer team's available to pray with you left hand corner giant sign over there it says prayer room most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior everything else pales in comparison to that decision And we pray you don't leave this place without making that decision today. We have people that would love to pray with you to receive Christ. Maybe you've been guilty of having your theology molded and shaped by secular humanism. Maybe people's opinions. If that's you and you got something you really need to just leave at the altar, the prayer team would love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let's stand on the rock. Let's show the world what it means to be real followers of Jesus. Change lives, transforming day by day into the glorious image of Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for the transforming power of your word. And we pray that as you work in us to will and to do what is your good pleasure, that we'd find grace in every moment. Lord, I pray for those that maybe came today and they do not know you. Lord, would your voice of grace speak into their life right now how much you love them, that you, Jesus, died for them, that you want to set them free. And so, God, for us as people, we admit we have times when we struggle. Lord, we get a little squishy. Help us to be firm in our foundation that rock that is you, Jesus, the cornerstone. Let us rest in you. 
It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.